Hello, and welcome to the All Saints podcast for the week of November 8th. I'm Hugh Cole. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please tell your friends about us. We also appreciate everyone who has left us a rating, which is a great way for new listeners to discover the podcast. You can leave a rating and also subscribe by clicking the subscribe button in your podcast app. As usual, we'll start with a sermon from the 10 a.m. service at All Saints Church Chevy Chase, followed by a sermon from the family table service. This week, we'll hear from our associate rector, Britt Frazier, with a sermon for Sunday, November 8, 2020, entitled The Balm of Gilead. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I speak this morning in the name of our God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So a few days ago, I had an experience that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. When you wake up, and the first thing that you think through your thoughts are the lyrics to a song. And the song remained stuck in my head all day, and in fact, every day this week. And ordinarily, I would have been upset about something like this, but I could not be upset considering what this particular song was. Because it was a hymn. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. It's a well-known and much-beloved African-American spiritual with origins in the 19th century. There is a balm in Gilead. The chorus goes like this. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Some of these words are taken from the prophet Jeremiah, who records the words of the Lord himself as he laments, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Why, then, is there no healing for the wounds of my people? Now, I hadn't heard this hymn in quite a while, so it surprised me that I found myself humming it throughout the week. It became a sort of spiritual friend to me, floating alongside the tempests of my heart. News about the coronavirus. There is a balm in Gilead. News about the election in the United States of America. There is a balm in Gilead. News about friends who are suffering. News about family members who are ill with COVID-19. Natural disasters that seem to be the embodiment of the very worst forms of interpretations of biblical apocalypse. And there I was. There is a balm in Gilead. The third verse of the hymn goes like this. If you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and tell he saved us all. As the words ran through my head this week, it occurred to me that the power of this hymn, in addition to the beautiful melody, the power of this hymn is that so simply and so beautifully, it encompasses two of the foundational truths of the Christian life. One, the utter helplessness of our sin-sick souls, our sin-sick world, and our sin-sick delusions that we can do anything to save ourselves. And two, the goodness, truth, 
and absolute beauty of the saving grace of Jesus. The hymn binds up our senses of exile and despair. This hymn insists that no matter how hopeless or abandoned we feel, all we need do is turn to Jesus Christ and tell out his love, the love of him who died to save us all. It is gentle. The hymn is gentle, and yet when you read the lyrics of this hymn, it doesn't let us off the hook. If you cannot preach like Peter, well, that's all right. If you cannot pray like Paul, well, that's all right. Because you can still tell the love of Jesus. Into the tempests of this world's uncertainty, you, even in your weakness, can speak his name. We've taken a turn in the liturgical year. I don't know if you noticed this, but if you look at the scriptures and are attentive to the context of the Gospels, you can tell that we've taken a turn in the liturgical year. Because as we approach the first Sunday of Advent, God help us at the end of this month, our scriptures gain a particular insistent momentum. Jesus speaks to us about judgment. He talks about the imminence of his own death. These lessons seemed far removed from the story of the baby Jesus in the manger that we will honor at Christmas, but they're given to us as a gift. They're given to us as a gift in these weeks of preparation, because in them our hearts will be stirred to know the true breadth of the saving power of that holy child. In them, we see the vision of God, we see the coming of the kingdom of God, and we must meet these scriptures with clear eyes. And so today, in this Gospel of Matthew today, we're met by this parable that's been known as the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and his message has taken a very serious turn. We're nearing the end of Matthew's Gospel here, we're nearing the end and we're feeling this momentum and Jesus begins to speak about the destruction of Jerusalem and the necessity of watchfulness. Just one chapter later, Judas will betray him to the chief priests and Jesus will sit down to the meal of his final Passover. The parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, or the bridesmaids as it's sometimes translated, can ring a little strange to us with 21st century ears. But for the disciples, these images were very familiar. In the Jewish marriage ritual of this first century, there was this deliberate series of actions that would take place upon the event of celebrating a wedding feast. It was tradition for the groom to travel with his entourage to the home of the bride. The groom would then meet the bride's father and receive his fiancée to escort her with her own entourage back to his home. The bride would be accompanied by a party of attendants, these bridesmaids, and they were generally a group of young, unmarried women from the bride's own family. Together, they would process joyfully through the town, and they'd eat the feast with the revelers where they were waiting in the home of the groom, where everyone would get together to celebrate. But of course, if one is to participate in this feasting, one must be ready, waiting, attentive to the arrival of the groom. 
Jesus uses this imagery to speak with urgency about the kingdom of heaven. He's explicit here. He says in this text, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Five women come prepared to wait and receive the groom. Five women do not. All of them, we read, fall asleep when the bridegroom is delayed. Now, there's a dimension to this parable that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? When I read this, I think, well, why wouldn't the five with the oil in the lamps share it out of compassion with those who have none? Or why wouldn't the groom just open the door, even if a few of the guests had been a little late? This admittedly doesn't seem very kind. But something else is happening here. Something else is happening here, and when we encounter these words of Scripture, what we have to remember is that Jesus is up to something different. This is not a morality play from the Middle Ages. Jesus' parables don't just show us vignettes about politeness or manners. These aren't 19th century plays about relationships between men and women. The parables of Jesus are not just stories or lessons as an example for us as to how we're to lead our lives, but what they are, what they genuinely are behind the texts and the imagery, are windows into the mighty work of salvation. St. Augustine, a dear spiritual friend of mine, in the 5th century preached an absolute barn burner of a sermon on this text. St. Augustine draws our attention to the fact that these ten virgins are not just apocryphal women who are made to represent just ten specific women in the history of the world in general. Rather, these women are given to us as an image that represents the church itself. So each woman has a lamp. And this lamp represents their good works. Each woman, each woman, all ten of them, seems to be illuminating the darkness with their acts of faithfulness. But it's the oil that's the key. This oil, Augustine writes, is caritas in Latin, which means charity, or as we so often and appropriately translate it, love. Oil is love. This oil, Augustine writes, is not just an ordinary oil, but he says it is love, and oil is an appropriate image for it, because he writes, oil and love are the way above the rest. It's a good reason that the oil signifies love, for oil swims above all liquids. Pour in water and pour in oil upon it, and the oil will rise to the top. It swims at the surface. You pour in water, you pour in oil, no matter what order you add them to the mixture, it is the oil, the love, the caritas that rises to the top. If you keep the usual order, he writes, it will come to the surface, and yet if you change the order, it will still arrive at the surface. Love never falls. And so Augustine is our prayerful companion here, Lamps without oil are useless. Good works without love are nothing. Jesus uses this parable to warn each one of us to keep awake, for you know not the hour when the Son of Man is coming. We know neither the day nor the hour when we will need to make an accounting of ourselves. This may be at his coming. This may be at our own death. We know neither the day nor the hour. 
And so we must fill our lamps with oil. We must fill our good works with love. What we do in this life matters to Jesus, and our lives are meant to be lived in the light. I don't know about you, but this can seem overwhelming at first. But this parable is not without encouragement. Because remember the bit about the drowsiness. Now, the drowsiness is supposed to be the challenging part of this parable, but remember that every single one of the women, the prepared and the unprepared, all fall drowsy and slumber. Augustine calls this sleep the sleep of sin that affects each one of us. No matter how much oil we bring, no matter how righteous or holy we may seem, no matter how well motivated our perfect good works, slumber happens to all of us. We grow tired, we fall asleep, we give up, we stumble, we sin, we forget the promises of God, and yet God does not forget us. The slumber is not the end of the story. God calls to us. He enkindles our hearts. He rouses us from the sleepy wandering of our ordinary lives. And he helps us watch for him. It may be overwhelming, too, to imagine how we could possibly ready ourselves for the arrival of this great and perfect bridegroom. But it's not so complicated. Remember the hymn. If you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and say he died for all. You, in your life, in your works, in your relationships, you can tell the love of Jesus. You do not need to be perfect at all times. God knows not a single one of us is perfect at all times. Jesus loves us. He forgives us, but do not underestimate this call to love. It's not a medieval morality play. It's not a 19th century comedy of manners. Love is a window into the mightiest work of salvation. This parable comes to us this Sunday after a particularly tumultuous week in our country. Perhaps today you are celebrating. You are happy with the results of an election or the inspiring work of your community, and you are walking on air. Or perhaps you're lamenting today. Perhaps you are aching with worry and disappointment, maybe fear. Perhaps you don't know what the next steps of your own political life or consciousness may be, but you know that you are coming before your Lord at a place of lament. Perhaps you're just exhausted, and you're very glad that the whole thing is over. God is with you. God is with you no matter where your heart is today. And God loves your passion and your faithfulness. God gives us this common life together. He gives us these ways of being in the world together. He gives us to one another to be in relationship. And yes, these earthly ways of orchestrating those relationships, like power and politics, may fail us again and again. But we know that it is not a human mechanism of power that saves us. It is Jesus Christ who saves us.
And that frees us to love each other. That frees us to love our neighbors who are celebrating. That frees us to love our neighbors who are lamenting. Because that salvation has been promised to all of us, and there is not a singular earthly thing that can remove us from that heavenly perfection. And so wherever you may be today, there is a balm in Gilead. <coughs> Passion is good. Passion is good. Don't let anyone tell you that your passion takes you away from the promises of the kingdom because passion is given to us so that we can seek the kingdom. Passion is good. Care for your community is good. Working alongside the folks that you may disagree with out of love and care for that community is good. At their best, these things are the sign of our openness to loving each other. And they call us into the arms of no one less than our better angels. God sees your good works. He sees your failures. And in all of it, in every single bit of all of this, no matter how messy it may feel, God longs to love you. Let him love you. Just let him love you. And let that love be the enduring oil of the light of your heart. Let that love be the illumination of your heart's own blessed lamp. That love is the balm of Gilead. And it makes the wounded, that's us. It makes us whole. Amen. And now, a children's homily from Gary Weeder. Hi, Gary Weeder, family pastor here at All Saints. I get the privilege of being able to do the children's sermon this week. I'm going to start by showing you this. All of you might know what this is. If you look really close at this, right, you know this is a light bulb, right? Does anybody know who made the light bulb or who made the first light bulb? You may, you may not guy by the name of Thomas Edison made the first light bulb. And there's a great story about when he and his team were down in a basement working really hard making that first light bulb. It took his whole team 24 hours, a whole day of working to make the first light bulb. And Thomas Edison, when he was done, handed that first light bulb to his young assistant who walked it carefully up the stairs. But when he got to the top of the stairs, guess what? He dropped it and broke it and all that work. Oh no, they had to go back downstairs and they had to start and do it all over again. Another 24 hours of his whole team. Thomas Edison had his team working and came up with the light bulb again. He handed it, guess to who? Yeah, he handed it back to the young assistant again. He handed it to him, giving him a second chance to go ahead and take it upstairs. And this time he didn't fall. Why do I tell you that story? Well, I tell you that story because this week we are talking about the idea of forgiveness. That story is such a great story of forgiveness, giving people second chances, right? He didn't have to give this guy a second chance, but he did. So this week in our family ministry, you know, children's ministry, student ministry, 
Here at Family Table, we're talking about the power of forgiveness. I want to share with you a verse out of the book of Mark, chapter 11, on forgiveness. It says this, When you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. God wants us to be able to forgive other people their sins before we ask for forgiveness. At every family table service, we pray a prayer called the Lord's Prayer, right? Do you remember that one part of it where it says, Lord, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. I mean, what does it mean to trespass, right? Not walk on somebody else's grass. It actually means to sin against somebody or to have a debt against them. So what you're really saying is, God, would you please forgive me just like I forgive those who do something against me that I need to forgive them for? So that's what we're going to be talking about. And I've got a great experiment to show you. Okay, so what I have here are three glasses. This one represents you and me. This one is sin, and you can see that it's all dirty, right? That's because it's sin. And this is Jesus. He is pure. When we first started off, Adam and Eve, without any sin, we were pure too. But all of us have sinned, right? Adam and Eve sinned, but you and I have sinned, right? So what has happened is that sin came into our lives. And it kind of made us dirty, didn't it? Kind of dirtied us up. We weren't so pure anymore. Jesus said, I need to do something about that. So he came to earth, and he came to earth for a reason. He came to forgive us of our sins and to die for us on the cross and rise again. So what he did when he died on the cross was he took on our sin. But when he took on sin, he got rid of it, right? He beat it. Sin was gone. Sin was out of the picture. So now there is us that is still a little bit dirty because of the sin that we have in our life, and we need forgiveness. So this lesson is about forgiveness. So we have an opportunity now to ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to be a part of our life. Ask God to come into our life, come into our heart. And when we ask that, guess what happens? The sin goes away. When God looks at us because of the sacrifice that his son made for us, sin is no longer there. When we ask for forgiveness, this is what happens. That is what it looks like. So here's the great thing about forgiveness, is that it's offered to all of us, right? God has given us second chances, and he wants us to give other people second chances. God has forgiven us. He wants us to forgive others. God has patience with us. He wants us to have patience with other people. And God loves us and wants us to love other people. So today I want you to think, what do I need to ask God or somebody else for forgiveness for? Go ahead and do that today. And then think, who do I need to forgive? And forgive them right now, whether it's through a prayer or giving them a call or checking in with them. But remember that God loves us and expects us to do it because he did it for us. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the All Saints podcast. To download future episodes automatically, you can subscribe and have the episodes delivered to you each week by going to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and clicking subscribe. And if you've liked the podcast so far, we would really appreciate it if you took a few minutes to give us a rating. As we continue to take steps towards being back together, please be safe, stay well, 
and God bless.